Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hi everybody, this is the Cricket Badger podcast. Each badger marks the track with its own scent. His black legs are short but very powerful for digging. The name badger probably comes from the French word bêche, meaning digger. Welcome along to another edition of the Cricket Badger podcast. And in many ways, thankfully, this is the last, the last of our Ashes podcast because uh, it's started to get a bit grim, hasn't it? It's started to get a bit grim, a bit depressing if you're English at the moment, looking at social media today, all the discussions about how we can basically mould English cricket and become successful in the Ashes again. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about many things. But first of all, welcome back to the podcast. It's Phil and it's Mark coming off their long runs today, maybe coming <laughs> off their long runs. How are you, gents? Yeah, not bad, not bad, James. Not too bad, James. Recovering. Uh, Glad to be getting a bit of sleep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, t- yeah, it's been a bit mad. It's been a little bit mad and a little bit depressing and uh, it's cricket, <coughs> so it's good, but then it's bad. Looking at the Ashes, Phil, in its entirety, marks out a 10 for England. <sighs> it's difficult to... Right, okay. The, the one good mark is Wood. Mark Wood. Uh, so I'd give them one. Literally, the one good mark is what? Just the That's one good very, mark. Very good, that. Um, what about you, Mark? You're not the good mark. <laughs> uh, I can't. I've got to give him something different than one, haven't I? So, um, Half. <laughs> well, let's say Bearstow got a century and Wood did well and they drew a test. So let's give him two. Well, on the, on the Twitter feed, I did a kind of a fairly emotional, I was quite emotional after the Ashes because I was a bit angry actually when it finished because they just fell into such a big pile of doo-doo in that uh, final session that I can't, I came away from it just thinking, well, there wasn't even any anything there to kind of even take off I mean I was a little bit concerned I must admit that um, I obviously want England to win I want to see good cricket I want to see competitive cricket which this Ashes wasn't and I also was a little bit concerned though that if England did did win that fifth test match we'd have everybody 
ECB and around it saying, well, actually, we didn't have any preparation. We finished strongly. It's not all as bad as it seems. But they fell in a big pile, Phil, didn't they? It was appalling that final day. Yeah, that that was as bad as the night uh, Boland took his six for seven or whatever it was. It was an absolute capitulation. Um, I, I don't have words. I really don't have words to explain quite how pathetic that innings was. But that doesn't help us on a podcast, Phil. It was so pathetic. Mark, um, you always have words. I I did a tweet after that um, shambles saying that on the plane back, Mark Wood should get first class. We should have maybe Stuart Broad, Jimmy Anderson, Johnny Bairstow in business class. The rest go in economy. Chris Silverwood and Ollie Pope were going to be swimming back. And uh, I also then furthered it when I got asked the question. Ashley Giles and Tom Harrison are basically, in my view, staying in Australia. We don't want them back. That was obviously quite a flippant comment, but it's been a, it's been a mess, hasn't it? Yes, it's been a mess since they arrived and preparation went awry, obviously, with the rain and then the selections at Brisbane and... All the crazy selections along the way. And then Giles coming with his, you know, his excuses rather than admitting mistakes. And then um, it's just been a litany. It's just been poor management, poor captaincy. They're not even, I mean, we've said this on many occasions. They're not playing. They're playing a very good Australian side, but they're not playing a magnificent Australian side. It's not vintage, is it? Not vintage. And you can see that through, you know, you can see that. Steve Smith, a great player, average 32. You know, if someone said to you before the series, David Warner's going to average 33 and Steve Smith 32, you say, and, and Labashane's only going to get one century. You said, thank you very much. We must be competing in this series. Yeah. Uh, the fact that they've not been able to score any runs whatsoever has just completely and utterly... Because um, the bowling, the bowling hasn't been fantastic, but they've had nothing to nothing to play with. The, the bowling's been reasonably okay, apart from Wolves and this. And there's a few things you could pick out and leech, but they have, they've had nothing to. You know, if you're a bowler, you've had nothing to actually motivate. You know, you're getting bowled out for 147. You're in the field after 47 overs again. It's virtually impossible as a bowler. So it's been a complete and utter shambles from start to finish. And I, I thought, Mark, in that final test match, I think it's the first time England have ever got Steve Smith and uh, David Warner for a duck. Yeah. And you, like you were just saying, you, you know, you think, you know, if, if you actually go back through some of the series, England have won very few sessions, but there have been moments where England have actually got Steve Smith and made him look embarrassed. David Warner's failed. As you say, Marnus Labuschagne's not had the stellar, stellar campaign. If you'd had that at the start of this series, you'd have been thinking, well, they haven't got much else, so this is going to be this is going to be all right, wouldn't you? But I mean, it should have been it should have been five nil if it hadn't been for a bit of rain in that four test match. Australia were one wicket, English wicket away from actually being five nil, weren't they? Yeah, well, that's what we said last week. People were getting kind of worked up the fact that we were on a test match, uh, even though sixty five overs of rain, and then we're getting the hyperbole, as you said, about well, if the Ashes had started now, we'd have been fine. But we wouldn't have been fine. We got destroyed. I mean, we, you know, we got destroyed in at. Uh, that last two hours, or 90 minutes it was, was unbelievable. And I think what encapsulated it for me was the last three wickets. They, they are they are tailenders. I'm not, you know, they are tailenders. But they were backing away. I mean, they, it was like, you know, it's just like amateurs. You know, you've got to have some pride in your performance. You don't feel that the, the, the heart had gone, hadn't it? I mean, I can, I can, it's, it's a long tour, five test matches, demoralised, you know, downbeat feeling beaten, et cetera, et cetera. But the fight had gone from England by the time they'd finished that 
that, that final test match. They were basically chins were on the floor, weren't they? Uh, they were. It was it was fairly tragic, tragic to watch. Ollie Robinson, I, I was under the impression he knew how to hold a bat. I think his average is around 20 in first-class cricket, but you, you'd have no idea that he knew how to bat from his work in this series. Uh, but the, I mean, the problem when you, you talk about the last three wickets is the damage was done earlier. And, and Mark has spoken about mindsets where, you know, collapses become almost inevitable once teams have decided their chances are are negligible. It's it's not been a classic series for the bat with anybody. I mean, if you look at the fact that Head is top scored with 357 runs, to be leading run scorer in an Ashes series with less than 400 has got to be, well, perhaps not unique, but it's got to be rare. I was looking at the top end of that list, and you sort of when you take the exceptions like uh, Bradman and, and Hobbs out, you're looking at people um, around the sort of seven, eight hundred mark for a series, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, you know the idea that half of that has has, has been the supreme performance. I don't want to knock Head; he's done really well, particularly in the circumstances with which he came in. But it, it just shows that neither team has excelled with the bat. But we have been. Well, I, I don't know whether it's better that it's heart that's gone or not, because you'd like to think that. As Mark said, you'd have some professional pride in what you're doing, but so I don't blame the tail. Yeah, by the time the tail came in, they were they were gone, weren't they? It's the top order batting that's let England down. You can't you can't compete in an Ashes series if you struggle to make 200 in the first innings. You know, Australia haven't been fantastic, but they found a way, didn't they? They they got had boring hours and boring hours and a half where they they dug in and then catapulted themselves up to sort of 350 or something off, off the back of that. England have never actually achieved that mark, have they? They've never dug in. They've never set down anchor and thought, right, it's okay to be boring for 45 minutes. It's okay to just fight for the cause and make sure I'm here in an hour's time. They've just capitulated. Yeah, it's my, I think a lot of it's mindset. I think it's a lot of it's mentality. I mean, they did it to a certain degree in Sydney, more Root and Stokes for quite a long time, I think it was. Um, but no, they just haven't they just haven't got the... I mean, you look at Ollie Polk, for example. Some of it, he's just, he just troubled mind. I don't think he knows how to bat in test cricket. You know, he's jumping across his crease. I'll ask you a question, Mark. I'll ask you a question, because Nick Compton's talked to me on Twitter about this. I've had a way Shah chipping in as well. England's batting coaches, regardless of where they are, but obviously in Australia on this this occasion, I've I've said, well, you know, if you've got Rory Burns in front of you, skipping across the off stump with his legs tangled around doing river dance, if you've got Ollie Pope jumping out and playing balls that are heading towards first slip and then not knowing where his leg stump is, there's got to be a problem there. There's a te- there's a technical problem there. I saw Alistair Cook's like little masterclass on the TV where he was trying to explain why batsmen take off stump guard, what the thought process is, is there, sort of getting your outside eye in line with your off stump so you can work out what's outside of the off stump. That's all well and good, but every batsman seems to these days have a trigger movement where they get themselves into the flow of the shot before they play the shot or before they leave alone. Yeah, the, the there seems to be a consensus in cricket that Steve Smith bats on off stump. Well, he doesn't. If you actually look at Steve Smith, he actually starts middle and leg and then he moves across and that's how he's made his game. And he's got such a good eye. He's able to play the ball off his, off his pads. But what, what the thing that um, Nick Compton, Owish Shah and a few others have said to me is that the coaches aren't there to coach. They are there to throw balls, pass on their wisdom, sit in the bar and, and talk about their experiences and be like mentors effectively to the players. I'm sorry, but on the basis that what we've seen in this series is there's a number of England batsmen with not just slight technical deficiencies, but glaring ones. Surely somebody steps in and says, what on earth are you doing, Ollie? Of course you do. That's just, I mean, I, I've, saw, I've seen that, um, that 
kind of debate on Twitter. Yes, obviously, the player has to take has to have the right mentality. But surely to God, if you're paying coaches lots and lots of money, and you've got lots of coaches these days, there's an obvious problem with Ollie Pope. There's an obvious problem with Rory Burns. You've got to be able to spot it as a coach and help them. Yes, the players have to take responsibility in terms of the mentality, but there's no point in having highly paid coach if the players are just going to get worse and worse. And what we've seen over this series and over the last 18 months is English batters, when they get into the test arena, are not improving. So the questions has to be asked, why are they not improving? Well, it's not what just they're not improving, they're actually, they're actually going backwards, aren't they? They come into yeah. the test team and, and score a few runs, and then after 15, 10, 20 test matches, however long it takes, their performances are actually going down. You can't, I mean, we talk about different techniques, but Steve Smith, players like Steve Smith and Sean Depot are exceptional players. They are exceptional players. They can get away with a quirky technique. The vast majority of players who play first-class cricket and international cricket need a strong base. If they don't have a strong base, they're going to fail. And all these trigger movements, these getting outside off stump, this leave it to yourself, these funky techniques, are all be, they'll be, they're all being found out with the England players. And somebody needs to take them back to basic. And, and Zach, Zach Crawley, Mark, as well, he's he's batting on off stump. And if you actually look at batting on off stump, they're che- they're fu- <laughs> they are actually, and because instinct takes over, they're still following balls that are wide of them. So they're actually playing at balls that are even wider than they should be leaving alone. And when the ball nips back in towards their pads, by virtue of kind of just ge- geometry, the bat should be that should be coming down straight, offering a full face. He's having to come around their pads to try and access the ball. So they're playing across the line. Yeah, they're playing across the line. Crawley himself. Uh, I looked at a stat on Twitter on uh, from Zoltan, uh, the statistician, in the innings yesterday. He only left five balls. If you're an opening batsman in an innings. You've got to believe in more than five balls. When well, he's, play, he's, he's playing balls on seventh or eighth stump, which he should be going nowhere near. And then if you're, not, if you're playing at all, virtually every ball, one of them you're going to nick. You've got to learn to leave the ball, particularly particularly when you're facing new ball bowlers. You know, that's what an opening batsman is there to do, to leave it when, when he needs to. Uh, they're not doing it. Badges are furry creatures. 85% of women badges think bad grooming is a major turn-off. 80% of women badges think men should trim below the belt. 89% of men think good grooming is essential to the professional success. Don't just dismiss it out of hand. Get on there, manscaped.com. Check out their great range of male grooming accessories. Hygiene, appearance, attractiveness, confidence. Simply go to manscaped.com, quote the discount code BADGER. You get 20% off, you get free shipping, and you get some seriously quality equipment. Manscaped.com, together we save balls. Phil, I totally agree that players should take responsibility for their own game. It's their job, it's their livelihood, it's their their responsibility to offer themselves up in the best possible shape they can they can give themselves to the England team. It's a massive honour to play for England, but for, they, for, for these guys, it's their job. But if I was a player, 
and I was struggling a little bit, or if I thought there was a coach there that could could look at me and actually tell me something that might help me, I'd welcome that feedback. I think it depends on the player, doesn't it? There are certain players that are already fairly confident that they know their game, that they're already as good as they can be, uh, possibly better than the coaches themselves. But, it, but if you're not scoring the runs, which think these current yeah. England batsmen aren't doing, then surely you welcome the feedback, don't you? Yeah, I th- well, I think any reasonable batsman should, and anyone that wants to improve their game should be. I, I can receptive. totally understand your point that if I'm if I'm averaging a hundred and I'm hitting cover drives left, right, and centre, and I'm never getting out, I'm thinking, why is this coach talking to me? Because I've got I've got this I've got this coach. Thank you. But if I'm if I'm averaging twenty, yeah, would, I, I take that point. But there's, I think there's a danger of overcoaching as well, isn't there? I certainly find that with the with the youngsters that they could be getting different advice on exactly the same point from different coaches and if you've got too many there too many voices I wonder if you lose the effect of that train uh, of that coaching and just create uncertainty I mean I, I don't know what's going on but I I, I know for example with um, my daughter she's a left arm over the a left arm and she's being given conflicting advice about whether she should be bowling over or around and everyone's got their views um, and she's sort of stuck in between. And when she sees one coach, she does one thing. And when she sees the other, she does something different to try and please them. So I think there is a danger that, and, and I think we've got lots of coaches on this tour, haven't we? That it could be that despite having all this coaching around, we might have too many creating too much noise. Um, and, and I think we've added, we, there's too much going on that can just nibble at your percentage chances of success. That that lack of preparation, the 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 the, uh, the the lack of time out in the uh, in the middle, the stupid coaching sessions on one foot, the 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 you know, if we add all these little two or three percent that are being nibbled out of their uh, ability to perform, and you add them up, we're suddenly looking at a player that's ten or fifteen percent down on their chances of performing. It's, it's just everything that could go wrong has gone wrong. It seems to have. It feels that way anyway. But I, I suppose Silverwood might say. If we knew the full story, perhaps we'd look at this and say it was, you know, if you take all the COVID, what's gone on? Because you, you never know exactly what's gone on behind the scenes and all the crises that may or may not have been averted. You, you never know, but for some of these coaches, we might have been in an even more significant state than we are at the moment. Well, they they needed them at one stage, didn't they? When all the COVID guys were having to isolate, so it's a good job they had a, a full quota of coaches because they didn't have enough people with the dog sticks at one stage in the uh, on the tour. But um, Mark, if I mean, we, we right at the start of this series, we looked at what the best combined eleven would be, and we talked about the fact that well, we talked about Joe Root being in the in the combined eleven. We talked about Ben Stokes, Jimmy Anderson. We might have mentioned a couple of others potentially for England. Um, and we obviously had the, the main guys for Australia. I'm actually sitting now, and, we, and we, somebody said to me, actually, review that after the fifth test match. Come back to me and tell me if that team's the same. And it's not, is it? Because now, if we look at that combined 11, who do we stick into that combined 11? Probably Mark Wood makes the squad. Joe Root might make the squad. I, I'm struggling to think of any other Englishmen that are actually would get in anywhere near that team. No, Mark Wood would probably make the squad. He might get a couple of games for Australia. Bowled very, very well. He's actually very unlucky um, to get not to get more wickets. Joe Root, yeah, he could probably come in for Marcus Harris or one of those types of guys, top of the order somewhere. Well, um, we had Harris in the original team, but I think Kawaja probably comes in the next yeah, But that's it. I mean, we, we're looking at scraps. We, we're looking at scraps and that's that's how 
that's a reflection of how ridiculously poorly England have performed. I mean, to that we're not even. I mean, we're not even saying Wood and Root would get in the first eleven, and that Wood gets that, in my first eleven. Who does he oust? He, he oust Boland. Boland. Well, yeah, on the on performance, you can't oust Boland, can you? you we're, can, talk, we're talking you can. about player. We're talking about an eleven from the series. Scott Boland's come in and averaged better than everybody else in cricket, bars about two people yeah. in his in the test he's had. So Boland has <laughs> taken eighteen wickets at a remarkable average, but Boland has had the advantage of bowling at the shower that we've put in front of him. If you take his his six wickets, the seven for six, which was to be honest, it was. I appreciate this. It's a good performance, but the batting was so horrific. But you can only take wickets. Of, you can only take wickets against who's in front of you, can't you? Yeah, I know, but you can't assume that someone's going to roll over as badly as England. So what you're are. saying, what? Phil? What you're saying is we need to basically handicap this, and English wickets only count as maybe two point five. I'm just saying that or something. Woods' wickets were so hard earned. He still took seventeen of them. He's bowling without the benefit of any runs behind him. He's got negative fields. He's just having Phil, to use Phil, his guts. Phil, Phil, Phil. I totally agree. I love Mark Woods. I love him. I think he's been brilliant. And I think it's great because I heard an interview with him prior to the series starting. And I think he's in the early stages of his England career, he had a bit of imposter syndrome. Should I be here? He said to me when he came on the podcast, I'm just pleased I got one cap for England. It's a, it's a, yeah, he's a genuine, lovely guy. And I tell you I what, if want, you've got, I think he wanted to go over. across to Australia and prove himself and actually maybe prove a few doubters wrong. Well, he's certainly done that. So I'm well, dead pleased for him. But he, you got, can't put, I'm sorry, but you can't put Mark Wood ahead of Scott Let me put Boland. this question to you then. Let me put this question to you. You've got an over to save your life. You've got Boland or Wood to take that wicket. Well, on the Who basis of what we've ball? seen. No, no, no. Who do you want? Two balls. <laughs> no, you've, you've got an over to take a wicket to save your career. But Who are you choosing this, to bowl at? You're, 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 looking at <laughs> you're looking at careers here. We're picking no, I'm this just looking at the bowlers. We're picking this 11 off the, off the back of the ashes, not off the back of their bowlers 32 years on the planet. In this ashes, he, he's, he's averaging the third best average of all time. You can't not have him in the combined 11. You just can't. I agree he should be in the combined 11. But, you know, it just shows, again, England's... Um, you get bowlers like Boland in English county cricket. Yeah, he might be a bit quicker than some of them, but he's not dissimilar to a lot of bowlers in English county cricket. I said, I think, on one of the WhatsApp, it reminds me of David Masters, who used to play for Essex, a slightly quicker version than him. He's always at you. And it's just another indictment. England are saying, well, we're going over to Australia, we've got bouncy pitch. But actually, the guy that gets them out is kind of as close as you can get to a typical English bowler, as you will get in Australia. Well, Mark, Mark um, Ricky Clark said, I saw Ricky Clark make a comment on, on social media, basically saying exactly that, saying that, and, and almost saying people detract from the county game because there's all these dibbly-dobblies. I hate that phrase. But one of the dibbly-dobblies, I mean, Scott Bowen's a bit more than a dibbly-dobbly, but he, he's he's basically bossing the ashes. Yeah, Vernon Philander, there's ton, tons of examples of players in Test cricket that at around about 80 miles an hour have taken lots of wickets and got a very low average. You don't need to bowl at 95 all the time, do you? You need, you need to have skill. You need to have skill. If you put batsmen under pressure often enough, they will, they will, um, you know, they will succumb. You've got to, you know, you've got to have skill and put batsmen under pressure and that's what he does. He does the same things. He's got a good repetitive action. He does the same things ball after ball. And he gets his rewards, just like English seamers do in English conditions. It's uh, a good example, Mark, as somebody that knows his game, isn't it? He's 32. He, he knows what's got him to be selected. He knows what he's doing. And he's gone in there with that 
12 years or whatever of professional experience behind him, knowing what he has to offer and to see if it's going to work. I mean, I can't imagine what it would what it would have been like to have been Scott Boland across those three test matches after having waited all that time for a baggy green cap and then to be walking from final leg to third man with a crowd standing every time he got anywhere near the boundary. I mean, that's, that's Boy's own stuff, isn't it? Well, yeah, that sounds fair play. So he's 32 years of age, plucked from Sheffield Shield cricket. I played a couple of times for Australia, but but to me, it just says it all for England. They got bowled out, and Scott Bowling, we're talking about man of the series, and he's what 130 odd, 130 k seamer nibbling at about. Yeah, he gets a bit of bounce, persistent, but they just couldn't handle him, and that says that says it all really. I think the batters in 2010 when they won the Ashes. Now, 2010-11, would have handled him quite well, I would have thought. And it just shows how batting standards have declined in the UK, I think. I'm, I'm not sure I think he's man of the series. He bowled in well, one test match that was actually competitive, which is the third one. And with that, after that, it's dead rubbers. Can't be the man of the series. Well, it's dead rubbers, but he's, I mean, yeah, the dad, I'm not saying man of the series, but... Find of the series, whatever you like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Got a lot of wickets in three <laughs> matches. So. Yeah, I've, got, I've got to admit, he'd be my man of the series. Who, who's who is who is ever with the ball made as bigger impact in three Test matches as Scott Boland? Nobody. Look, he's been absolutely immaculate in what he's done. But yeah, in in but the, the series was over at three 0 and by that point he'd only played in one of them. Phil, 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 Phil. Get into the modern age, World Test Championship points. It's never there's never such a thing as a dead rubber in Test cricket these days. You should know that by now. You are listening to the Cricket Badger Podcast. Let's move on because we need to. Um, we need to move on. There's loads to talk about. We, we, we're basically condemning England. I mean, you, what was your score, Mark? Did you give him in the end two? I gave him two simply because Johnny Bairstow got an hundred and uh, Mark Wood bowled well and we drew a Test match. So one from Phil, two from Mark. I'm going to give them. 0.75. I can't even manage to give them one, to be honest, in this this series. It's not for one of trying. I'm not saying that any of the guys didn't try, but it's they were just so lacking. And it was embarrassing. To me, this was the worst ever English touring team to go to Australia. Would you agree, Phil? I, I would agree. I mean, we've, it's the most disheartening tour that, in, in my recollection, I mean, it's difficult to know without actually, actually being on them whether there's a worse array of players, but it's the worst I've felt watching an England team probably since oh, since early NASA saying uh, that sort of that that era, the early 90s when we were getting pummeled. I can't think of anything else since that compares the worst to ever, it. Mark? Yes, given the, given the comparison of the side they were playing. They weren't playing the West Indies of the 80s or the, you know, the great Australian sides or even South Africa with Alan Donald and Sean Pollock in it. So, yes, it was uh, the worst performance. I mean, some of the individuals are probably, you know, they're good players, but they just didn't perform. So, yes, in, in, in the broader context and all the shambles of what's going on, I know that we had COVID, but they have been, you know, we've had bubbles and all this and all that. But the bubble scenario has actually got better in Australia. They've not been, you know, they've not been totally isolated. Been, so, so, yes, it's the worst touring party in my lifetime, definitely. I, what frustrates me, gentlemen, I mean, I'm, we're concentrating on the batting here because I don't think the bowling's a million miles away. Um, I think T20 has actually done bowling a service and that, you know, most teams have got some good bowlers these days. But the batting is what's let England down, getting scores of 147 in the first innings and uh, uh, you know, you, you're not in the test match. You're just not in the test match. So let's concentrate on the batsman. 
I'm just thinking, I'm just kind of looking at social media and looking at people's reactions to stuff at the moment. And I'm seeing people almost saying that Zach Crawley again is the saviour. I mean, Zach Crawley had a year without hardly scoring a run. We went through um, in the last podcast, but he had 77 in the second innings of the fourth test. Very nice innings. He had everybody behind the ball, though. If he scored in front of the wicket, there was nobody there because Australia were able to put such attacking fields in place. There were so many gaps in front of the wicket. He's averaged 27 in this series, and people have got him inked in for the West Indies. Now, I think he should go. I don't, I, yeah, I don't think he's actually put a full stop behind a definite just yet. Rory Burns, he's averaging 30 after 32 test matches. He looked a shambles in this series, an absolute shambles, a mess. He scored a couple of nice boundaries in the second innings and people are inking him in on their proposed West Indies touring parties. It's just bonkers to me. The Average bar 13. Filled, yeah, the bar has dropped so low with what we're actually saying is acceptable because England have been so crap for so long. The bar has dropped so low. We're actually saying that people that are averaging 20 in Test cricket have got a future. It's just it's, what's happened with the world. It's crazy. What, what are the alternatives? This is the problem. Is there's Well, we don't know unless we play them, do we? People that that we've literally got to pluck people out of obscurity and stick them in on the basis. Well, let's just hope, and the chances of that actually being successful uh, are really remote. It, Why? It's, well, because Why? They, if you've got they're coming uh, in Alex, track Alex Lee's Alex Lee's at Durham has yeah. scored centuries in Durham on on a on a on pitches that are offering the seam bowlers quite a lot, and he's he's got through and he's scored centuries. He's got got runs in adverse in adversity. And he's got a, he nearly got picked by England when Adam Lythe got picked and they chose Lythe rather than Lees. Lees has gone away to Durham and he's coming back again. I think Lees has got a future. Tom Abel of Somerset, yeah, we can argue about whether he's he's quite good or not, but we'll never know unless we actually try him out. Josh Bohannon, Lancashire. Yeah, there's there's a long list of players that are coming through the county system that are actually showing something and they're not getting the opportunities. And we'll never know about these guys unless we put them into a test arena and actually say, can you play? Well, uh, uh, the... Yeah, I mean, I, I I think I entirely agree with you because I I personally can't see any any point in in pursuing the three openers we currently have at the moment in this England team. All three of them need to go go home and earn their chance again. They've had a whole they've had their series or, or several series now, and we've got to a point. If an opener's not at least averaging thirty five, then then there's an issue. The fact that we are seriously considering Rory Burns with an average of 13 in the series playing again, it, it, it just shows you there's a dearth of... I could understand why they brought him back in for the fifth test match because Hasip Hamid needed to be taken out of the crosshairs because he was the only one there. Mm. But when, when you've actually got other people to pick from, Rory Burns should be nowhere near consideration at the moment. If there's other people to pick, then we should be looking outside of this team. I think the difficulty is is that there's there are question marks over them. I don't know enough about about the names you've just mentioned, but I would certainly be willing to have a look at them. But the danger is that you chuck people in before they're ready to go. Sa- Sam, Robson. Sa- Sam Robson at Middlesex had a good season last season. He's been yeah. there before. I've talked about James Vince. You know, there's people that have actually had experience of Test cricket that have gone away who I think might be better the second time around. There's people coming through the system that are worth at least a look. You know, if we pl- and if we're planning, I mean, we put such a massive thing on the ashes. There's every Test match matters. I mean, I'll ask that of Mark. Should we actually... I mean, I've seen a few suggestions saying that we should do what we did in the white ball stuff. We should actually look at this as as a, as a terrible experience, grow from here, and then in four years' time, yeah, you know, we we build now for four years, so that next time we go back to Australia, we have built for that. That kind of means that we're taking every single match from here till now till then as almost being a warm up game, doesn't it? It's um, it's Test cricket. England have got into 
a terrible situation where they've forgotten. I think they thought they're better than they are and they've forgotten to play what's in front of them <laughs> rather than planning for two, three years ahead. Because quite simply, they're not good enough to do that. And I think they've lost the thread a little bit. You play what's in front of you. You pick your sides accordingly for those particular series. You obviously identify the players you want to develop. But you don't start doing what we've been doing over the last 18 months of we're planning X, Y for the Ashes and therefore he's not going to play here, they're not going to play there. This is It just doesn't work. You just play what's in front of you. Keep it simple. Play what's in front of you. This is my best squad. We need to win this series. We're not good enough to think about beating Australia yet. These are the players, these are the players we need to develop. These are the players we need to play. And just take it from there. Just strip it all back. Strip all and con- confidence comes from achievement, doesn't it? If you beat the West Indies in the Caribbean, if you then beat South Africa at home, and if you start putting some performance in and you you, you start to actually get that momentum and, and you believe you can win matches, that then grows, doesn't it? I think we've just got into the habit of making things far too complicated and complex. It's the kind of case with all the different cultures. Yes, we say that coaches are important. Phil's right. Sometimes there are too many voices too many noises and you don't need as much noise as you know the setup is at the moment we need to just strip things back we just need to get back to the simple basics of what is the right way to win cricket matches what is the right way to bat in test matches to build scores of 400s what is the right way to use a spin bowler yeah rather than going into a match with five seamers if four aren't going to do it why is five you know, we've got to get it back to the simple basics of how you win cricket matches at high level. And we've lost sight of that. It's as almost as though we talk about funky batting and funky batting techniques. We've got all these funky theories now about how to win. And that's that's clouded the judgment of people like Root and Silverwood and James Taylor, I believe, was on the phone about selection and crazy ideas about, you know, James Anderson's not taking that many wickets in Brisbane. In but you get to Brisbane, it's cloudy, it's mild, it's kind of humid, it's an emerald green pitch, and you've got James Anderson and Stuart Broad on the sidelines. It's it's ridiculous. It's utterly insane. Only dogs could hear your ridiculous there because you went so high pitched in your in your anxiety and, and, and anger. Because um, there's this level of complexity. My name is Jacob and I sent the badger a message and now I'm on the podcast with this jingle. If you would like to get in touch with the Cricket Badger podcast, then tweet at cricket underscore badger. Let's go back to the three top orders, Zach Crawley, Rory Burns and Hasib Hamid. Which one of those goes to the West Indies, Mark? Well, only Zach Crawley, by the default, that he's shown some potential. But I have my doubts long term. I prefer to see Zach Crawley bat at number three because at the moment, as we said previously, he looks too loose. He's not leaving enough balls. Whether he can succeed as an opener in Test Match Cricket, I don't know. But Zach Crawley goes of, of the three as an opener, and then we obviously trying to scrap, scratch around for a few more. But the other two don't go now. No. You've got to, at some stage, say to people, because there seems to be this thing that there's too, it's too cosy in that England dressing room. They're looking after them almost too much. We obviously want to look after England players. They want to be treated well. But you've also got to tell them that they're idiots if they're idiots, haven't you? Yeah, you, you can't, yeah, and you can't just basically wrap people in cotton wool and just pat them on the back all day long. And you've got to, you've got to, you've got to have honest conversations with people. It's, it's the same in any walk of life. You know, you obviously want people to do well, but when pe- when things are going wrong, 
your, your place of work. You don't want to hang people out to dry, but you've got to have honest conversations with them in any walk of life. And that's the job of a leader, to, to pick those times when you have to have that conversation. Again, not to get rid of somebody or, you know, totally take them down, but to have the conversation to kind of put the situation into context and put a plan about how you're going to move forward. There's going to be some positive pressure, isn't there? The positive pressure to say, if you're not, if you're not performing, there is someone who's about to come in and take your place. And that's not saying that to them as a threat. That's an expression of what should be the competition for elite sport that, you know, you, you you have to perform. And we understand that, you know, there are going to be days when you don't, but more, you, you're there to perform more often than not. You've got, there are certain key performance indicators we're going to work to, and your average is going to be one of them. And if you're not averaging more than, if you're not averaging more than 20, you're, you know, you've got to be realistic about it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the bar is almost subterranean, isn't it? It really is. I mean, people are going to struggle to limbo under this bar. I mean, I'll be honest, I wouldn't take Crawley. I, I think I'd yeah. give, I'd send them all home. Let's move on to how things are going to happen. I've, I've had some tweets, so let's read through some of these tweets. Steve Dixon says, I personally think these last few weeks, level of criticism is astounding. Everyone is blaming the ECB, the structure, white bull, but very few mention the complete refusal to adapt to a longer format by individuals, even though they clearly know how. I mean, that's a little bit what you were saying there, Mark, but do they clearly know how? And surely if you've got all of these coaches there, I mean, people like Marcus Triscothic, Jonathan Trott, even Chris Silverwood, they've all been there in Test Match Cricket. They understand the game surely isn't there some scope for them to actually sit down with players and uh, and say this is test cricket this is what you need to expect they've got more experience of it and they've seen more of it than the, the players that are there at the moment or, or are the players just not listening I think it's a combination of factors I think if you look at England's test side then you can't say there's a lot of 2020 players in there apart from Butler who we've taken a punt with you know the the 2020 the, the, the multi-format players are some of our better players like Root and Stokes if you look at players like Crawley hasn't played a huge amount of twenty twenty, they just haven't got the you know, they, they just haven't got the right techniques. And that's what the coaches should be concentrating on with those particular individuals. I think it's easy sometimes to say, Well, it's all the fault of white ball cricket, because a lot of those players have not played huge and huge amounts of white ball cricket. And the ones that have are some of our better players, you know, Root and um Stokes. Um, you know, Burns Hamid, uh, Crawley, Bersos played a, bit, a lot of white ball cricket, and I suppose his technique has actually been... But even the Hamis, the Popes, are relatively inexperienced. They need, especially... co- they, need, they need specialists. That's what the coaches are there for. They're there to assist and develop those young players to adapt to the environment. Because actually, unlike in the past, when you would get a bit more of a, a grounding in first-class cricket on good wickets, like Ian Bell, let's take the... Example of Ian Bell. Yes, he played for England early, but actually had a good grounding in county cricket. Played in county cricket when he was at his halcyon days on good wickets, when it should be played against good bowlers, learnt his trade quite well. A lot of these guys are learning on the job. They're not getting a great grounding in county cricket because the wickets are poor. They're playing at the wrong types of the year. We'll come to that. all that in a second. Let's go to that in a so second. That, but, that, but they're learning on the job. And yeah. that's why the role of the coach... And that's, that's why you need somebody to lean on a bit, don't you? Precisely. That's why, yeah. particularly someone like Hamid, who's had problems with his technique for a few years now, you need that specialist guidance. That specialist guidance to give you confidence. Instead of saying, well, just go and sort it out yourself. 
I'm a mentor. You know, let's have a drink about it. That's not going to help Hamid. That's not going to help Crawley. And that's not going to help Burns. I mean, Bob said that himself. I was sent this quote from The Independent, and I've actually just lost it. But basically, it was saying that um, Rory Burns was asked before the Brisbane test, the first test of of the series, have you, effectively, have you visualised the first ball of the series? And he went, nah, not really. Now, that really surprises me. If you're going to be taking the first ball, we saw we, we saw we see batsmen shadow batting out in the middle, don't we? Anticipating what's going to happen. Sports psychologists tell you to visualise and, and all that kind of thing. I mean, I don't know if he's telling the truth. He was trying to brush off the subject, but Phil, that would surprise me if Rory Burns genuinely hasn't actually thought about, even if it's not the first ball, but the first passages of the Ashes series. Just might not be the way he prepares. I, I, each individual is going to do their own thing. Whatever gets them in, gets them in the, in the mood. And whatever he did, obviously, wasn't working. So, <laughs> well, exactly. Um, it, it's I, I, I'm not I'm not overly concerned about that. I, I, th- I think what the phrase that I keep here trotting out is that people have got to go and play their own game. I'm not sure that's always right. I, I certainly see the merits of that particular phrase, but sometimes you need to hunker down and, and you need to bat for time and you need to, you know someone's going to have to carry you off the pitch because you're not going to give your wicket away. And we didn't see enough of that. And, and, and you know, uh, you can see when it works, you know, but Bairstow's ton was a great example of, you, you know, playing to your own strengths. And, you know, he played a lot of shots and it was a, it was a quick hundred, but the innings before where he probably batted in the same way and was out promptly with a shocking shot. Uh, or the match before, sorry. I, I, I think I, I, I think we need to distance ourselves from this idea that we are that batsmen should be out and playing their own game because they should be playing the circumstances, and the circumstances might mean leaving six balls in and over if you have to, and bit and boring and grinding the opposition down, which is what we failed to do. That stat that Mark raised earlier, Crawley leaving five balls in an innings, is I mean, it's simply ridiculous for an opener or coming into a new ball scenario on a pitch he's not played on before and just playing at everything is just a recipe for disaster. But in terms of preparation, I think it's down to individuals. Clearly, England didn't prepare properly. Burns as an individual, I don't know what what makes him tick. I'd imagine there's probably more than this, but there's going to be certainly two types. One that has to visualise everything and and work it all through, and another one that has to switch off until they go and switch on. Uh, And it might be that he comes into the second category. It's a pity that Rory forgot where the on switch was then, wasn't it? Podcast Network.